And we tell our funders that. They're like, no, there's no gala. There's no fundraiser. There's no event. The event is the event. You come to the event. Hello, and welcome to a new season of Art Restart, where we explore how artists are reinventing their fields and building a new landscape for the arts. I'm Piercarlo Talenti, the producer and editor of this podcast, a production of the Thomas S. Keenan Institute for the Arts at the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. In this episode, we'll be speaking with two of the four directors of Chicago's Floating Museum, architect Andrew Shackman and multidisciplinary artist and educator Fahim Majid. As its name suggests, the Floating Museum does not have a brick-and-mortar fixed space. Rather, it creates inventive projects through which invited artists can explore and strengthen the relationship between art, community, architecture, and public institutions and sites throughout Chicago. One example of past floating museum projects is Cultural Transit Assembly, which activated not only the Chicago Transit Authority's Green Line, but also parks and spaces all along its track. Some of the Green's Line's cars served as pop-up performance spaces and galleries. And you could also, just by looking out of the window of the elevated train, occasionally see giant movable sculptures, as well as community art events all along the route. Another example of a past floating museum project is River Assembly, which over a month saw an industrial barge dock at different sites along the Chicago River, bringing a host of performances and interactive exhibits to several neighborhoods. I should add that the other two co-artistic directors are poet Avery R. Young and sculptor Jeremiah Hulseba Spofford. In a sign of the Floating Museum's cultural influence not only citywide, but also nationally and abroad, its four leaders were tapped to be the co-directors of the 5th Chicago Architecture Biennial, which is currently running through February of 2024. I only just learned that it is one of only two architecture biennials in the world, the other being the century-old biennial in Venice, Italy. We'll pick up our conversation with Fahim, explaining how, before the floating museum was dreamed up, he and Jeremiah started imagining the roving project that would eventually spawn the museum itself, and also lead to their working with my other guest, Andrew Shackman, and later, Avery R. Young. Here's Fahim. Jeremiah tells the world we're going to do this thing before asking me. We're going to float down the Chicago River with a model of the Sable Museum, which is now in a, a big building, and floated down the river with this kind of idea of what happens when you move a cultural institution from its neighborhood to its kind of um, cultural center. Like downtown is where the cultural capital is, it's where the museum campus is, like kind of as a poetic gesture. And we went to the Sable Museum and talked with its director at the time. And she laughed at us because we thought we were going to dumpster dive and do this for like $20,000. And she said, you won't get a nickel. And she just laughed. And she said, I said, why? I said, because people think you're going to hustle them. I said, what do you mean? $20,000? Is that too much? She said, no, it's too little. You cannot do this for $20,000. They know you're not trying to do it because that's ridiculous. So you must be up to no good. Uh So at the same time, Jeremiah met this amazing person who... Uh, was an architect and was a friend of his. And we sat down to eat and that was Andrew. And Andrew, who's also, we have a space here called the High Park Art Center, was the lead designer when he worked for Garofalo Architecture. It's a space that's near and dear to 
pretty much all of Chicago. And he was the one that figured out how to make this space partially is near and dear because of how the building functions. It's not precious surfaces. It actually serves. We started talking about the building, the, the, the Margaret Burroughs and, you know, shifting, you know, shifting for people. And, and he was like, what if the building actually like literally moved? And, you know, so that's when Andrew stepped in uh, really. And that's kind of how we met was really through this initial kind of first project that we were trying to get done. How long ago was that, Andrew? Well, yeah, that's two, that was 2015. And how long did that take to pull together? Well, I, I mean, that took about two years, partly because we realized we needed to rehearse the gesture. <laughs> and, and partly that was about law and protocols and coordinating with a whole lot of city, municipal, permit-granting organizations, coast guards, park districts, that it was a lot more complicated than just the literal action, but the, all of the organizational issues that come up when you navigate also a space that's unusual, like a waterway, which has totally different legal conditions on it. And what, did, what does rehearse the gesture mean? How much rehearsal is involved in that gesture? Quite a lot. It actually was a whole separate project. <laughs> um, so we, we installed in the park district because we we uh, were activating, in some cases, parks adjacent to the to the river. So we we already had a relationship with some of the people in the Chicago Park District, which led us to a project in Calumet Park, which was essentially a temporary structure like a scaffold that was erected. With the thought that um, we wouldn't use any or waste any material, that uh, we could rent a scaffold, they could build a kind of framework structure in the park, it would come with a crew to assemble it and a crew to take it away. And we could work with an attorney who came on board, who we joke about as kind of like our quiet, a quiet artist, even though he would he would reject that. Uh, we worked on legal documents because they didn't exist within the park district to install temporary frameworks for people to gather in the way that we were thinking about gathering and collecting and have a exhibition space. Oh my God. Did you all have any idea what this was going to entail? No, (laughs) but it was interesting too, though, because our, our attorney um, at the time was writing bonds for the city of Chicago. It was a really great uh, pro bono attorney named Steve and already understood some of the city's protocols. So one of the things that that opened up was also leaving behind legal frameworks that other people could use after our intervention in the site. And some of those legal frameworks are still used today and have, an, have allowed more flexibility uh, in the park space for new kinds of activations and community events to happen. Oh, so you actually changed, like, you changed the city on a municipal legal level. In a quiet, concrete way we did, and that, that underpins a lot of our practice now. I also want to ask, was the event the first floating of the museum over how many days? 30. 30. 30 days. It was a month long. But just to be clear, although we're called the floating museum, this is very confusing. <laughs> the point isn't to be on water or floating air. The, the, the floating aspect is really about movement. It's almost like museum without walls. So the idea is to float around the city and now kind of around the world so that we we move a set of resources ideas collaboration and and, and and collaborators 
around the city. It's a way of kind of like not even bringing the museum to the people, but understanding that the people are the museum, right? And just supporting what's already there. You understand? So we, you, you know, we don't bring culture to people. People already have culture. We just like, what if you have a 30 foot inflatable? What if, would you like to go down the river with us on this barge? It's a horizontal value set. So that's why we say Calumet Park was where we first rehearsed with a standstill structure behind a park district building so we could work out how to work together. We could work out how to work with the city. We could work out legal agreements. We could work out our curatorial style, our building style without the pressures of a like strong deadline. The floating down the river didn't happen for another two years after that project. Yeah. We didn't actually float. We did like three projects before we actually, maybe two projects before we actually floated because we had to learn each other first. And also learn the city and and think about learn to learn to activate sites in the city in this particular way, and also to understand the constraints of the city in order to think about how to adjust those constraints or push against those constraints. Or, you know, there was also this Red Moon Theater. Uh, I don't know if you know them. They had attempted to light something on fire in the Chicago River. And it rained that day and the it kind of smoldered. We met with them and they told us in the most generous kind of artist to artist conversation you can possibly have, they told us about their experience trying to accomplish something that was really difficult and having it not go as expected. But they told, told us all about the nuances of that experience. And partly because of that, we realized we needed to rehearse to build up to something because we didn't want to do something so public in our first gesture and not succeed. Fahim, you said something very good about one of the things you had to do early on in the process was learn each other. How did you figure out the nuance of co-leading for different personalities and for artists with different backgrounds? How, how did you figure out your co-leadership style? I think it was commitment to time. Early on, we made one of the commitments was to meet once a week for an hour. And it doesn't, an hour doesn't seem like much, but when you stack up almost going on close to a decade now, that's a lot of time. And we don't meet for an hour. <laughs> we never. Meaning, meaning it, it's a minimum. Yeah, it turns into five hours. Yeah, yeah it always oh, turns okay, into five good. hours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we, right. we, we meet way much, way more than that because, you know, it's just, so, so it's, it, it was about being around each other. It's also just small things we learn. And I do think it is special because although we all have our own, we have egos, we, you know, and I think those egos kind of function and Lord knows, I mean, we're all creatives and artists are, 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 are known for their egos, but we check that at the door or we leave it in our studios and think about like who needs to be up front, who makes the most sense. And, and, and a lot of that's been an intuitive type of thing that I think just from being around each other, supporting each other has helped. And it, it is special. It's unique. I'm not going to sit here and say it. I've seen many collectors fizzle out, you know, from the wrong chemistry or things not lasting or people not willing to, you know, back away or, or things like that. So we've just been really fortunate. A Avery, our young, uh, came on during like the barge project. So two years in, he comes on. And I think in a lot of ways, we, we try to challenge space. So we did have this idea of always adding new directors. Like, what if we had an organization that 
constantly was sliding to make space, you know. Which is right there is pretty revolutionary for any institution. <laughs> right. You know, we're always trying to challenge. I mean, it was, you know, there's, just, there's institutional critique in all the stuff we do. And uh, we had a lot of performers. So, you know, I, I, I had a friend or a person that I knew named Avery R. Young, a big fan. He came on and did a performance with me in the project I did at a museum. And, you know, we, we hosted a lot of, uh, you know, musicians and poets. So we said, instead of just hosting them, we should give them a space. So I said, Avery, will you come on as co-director? He said, sure. I don't think he understood what he was saying at the time <laughs> or what he was getting into. But next thing you know, I mean, we're literally going down the river and he's becoming, a, he, he has to take all this in, like on the, like, it was so quick, such a quick turnaround, but it took a good two years for us to learn Avery and for Avery to learn, you know, the rest of the group and everything else. And it was very jarring. Avery communicates very differently. Um, he's uh, Chicago's first poet laureate. He is definitely the rock star of the group and the most fun, hands down, but also kind of the busiest in, you know, how many spaces he supports. So once again, we all have our own kind of spaces and we come together with things. So he, he's kind of our sage, you know, morality in a lot of ways. And um, I'd also say we all had somewhat established practices and reputations before we met each other. So our investment in Floating Museum has not been a technique to get to build a reputation necessarily it's has been a lot about satisfying things that i think a lot of us thought were missing in our independent practices in the constraints of those practices and then developing this as a place to realize things that and take risks together to create our own space to take risks together to satisfy some of those critiques i think that we might have developed in other work Right. Whereas otherwise there might've been more ego involved in the leadership. Yeah. So it's right. really easy for, for us to put our egos aside because mm -hmm. we're getting to realize and act on and think about together things that, things that we care about together. You know, and I would also mm -hmm. say that we were seeing the same things from different points of view, which is what, what holds us together uh, as a collective, you know, from a urbanistic and, architecture and I have a I have an art background as well but point of view is seeing something from that lens is maybe different for, than seeing it from a performance or sculptural or administrative lens but knowing together that we share a hallucination about things that are missing and maybe a hallucination for about about the way things might be allows us very easily to put our egos aside cuz we're all we all have a shared mind frame even though that might express itself slightly differently depending on our training or our education or our life experience. Let's say someone wanted to replicate the model of the floating museum in their hometown. What would you tell them that would best prepare them for this challenge? Mm. Mm. So it's about a process. And, you know, what I, I, I always say is that we use spectacle as a way of galvanizing expertise. So we intentionally create projects like we can't float a barge down the Chicago River without the ferryman, you know, the tugboat captain. We put these things together to go into neighborhoods where they're just not going to work. if There's not a certain amount of buy-in. So we don't work with the communities. We work with the people who work in the community. 
You understand? They're already there. So it just strengthens the workers that invests or gives them resources in a way that benefits the spaces that they care about. And how do you go about how do you go about yeah. kind of ascertaining whether the the community or the neighborhood in question wants this kind of intervention? We ask. We ask a person. The community is infinite. Like on one given block, there could be communities are very nebulous word. On my block, there are a number of communities on my block. There's an ecosystem. And all I'm saying is work with one of those people on that ecosystem. It doesn't mean you're going to solve. It's not about solving anything. It's not about fixing anything. It's just about highlighting something that may be there. And I offer it. Sometimes Miss Jenkins, that's been doing the community block party for 15 years out of her pocket. You go to Miss Jenkins and say, hey, Miss Jenkins, would you like a 30-foot inflatable monument and some docents? Oh, that'd be great. How much that cost? Well, that's free for you, you know, because that satisfies our mission. Or she may say, that's a big distraction. I'll say, well, can we just come? Okay, you can come and sit down and eat. So it's, it's once again, not forcing things on the people, but having a dialogue conversation. Each one's unique. In many of our projects, those are representations of processes of different lead artists, different community uh, stakeholders, you know, and they just take different forms. Just like Andrew said, we, we switch directions. The project, we'll throw the whole thing out. Like, you know, if it don't make sense. But yeah, like you're saying, the process is part of the art. I would also say spending time and developing real relationships mm -hmm. is part of the art. Without those real relationships, there isn't, I mean, people say this often in Chicago, but things happen at the speed of trust. Without spending time and developing relate, real relationships, that trust doesn't happen. Fahim, you said that uh, Floating Museum is currently going through, I think, an expansion, you said, or there's a lot going on. And I'm wondering if you can talk about, in the next year or two, what's, what's some projects coming up you're really looking forward to the most? I think turning in, we are moving from a passion project, a lot of ways to growing up, formalizing some things. If we, or, or, or I won't even say that. That's putting the cart before the horse, really. Just think about where we want to, how we want to evolve and grow, understanding that, you know, when you make a good cookie, eventually Betty Crocker comes looking for it. And we've been making good cookies for a while. And thinking about it's no longer a passion project, you know, bringing on permanent, you know, full-time staff. And Is that disappointing? No, it's just something to, okay. to think about, about like take serious. It's not... This is not something we want to be knee-jerk about. I've done that already. I've been through that with the last organization. I've seen it happen in many ways. So I want to take we're, – we're taking that seriously. But it's exciting because, you know, now we're going to have residencies. We're looking at fabrication facilities. We're looking at, you know, like we have all these amazing things that are building on the work that we've done in the past that are going to, once again, make the city better. In these things, these gaps that we see, we can actually address them and we have – you know, support and interest in the city behind our us in the state. And uh, we've delivered on a lot of things. I'd also say the mission is really not about us. So right. if, if our passion is the thing that's driving it, then that, that's right. in a way, is pointing back at us. You know, you asked how could someone think about doing this in their own city. I think if, if we're serious about the mission, 
it has to somehow become externalized in a uh, intentional way so that we may be filling a role within the mission and the structure, but our passion is not the thing that's catalyzing or driving it, that other people have access, can plug in, have a way to direct resources through the mission to realize their own agendas, because it's not about us realizing our agenda. It's about us developing frameworks and tools for other people to realize their own agendas and get resources and feel safe and stable in their lives to achieve those things. You must be aware, though, as as an organization gets larger and brings on more yes. staff, it loses its nimbleness. Well, that's so, what we're working on. Right. <laughs> that's what we're trying to figure that's out. Exactly. That, okay. Exactly. That yeah, that doesn't necessarily. You know what I mean? That doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing, but it's a thing right. to consider about. Yeah, being less not nimble about doesn't it. mean it's calcified necessarily. Right, but also it's right. like, yeah, maybe it doesn't need to get bigger. Like, so these are the things I'm not saying one is going to definitely turn into the other, but it's like so often, especially in a capitalist society, it's like bigger is better. And that's not always the case. Like it depends on your metric, your measures. We don't measure our success based on butts and seats, ticket sales. Sometimes the best programs we've had have been with two people. And a lot comes out of those two people, that relationship. We have a really intimate conversation can't have an intimate conversation with a thousand people. So yeah, it's like we've always challenged measurements and rules and why things are the way they are before we do things. And when we sometimes fall into those trappings, the benefit of having the four of us is that one of us oftentimes is going to push against the prey and say, hey, well, why are we doing that? And then we have a frustrating conversation and and we figure it out. So it's the, the but the journey is the point. The journey, whether small, big, whatever, what I don't but want to what you're, what you're saying is I'm thinking of funder, funders love to read about impact and measurements. Oh yeah, they do. Right. <laughs> so I, I, I agree. I think funders have to develop measures and, and frameworks for themselves because they they need a way of uh, evaluating who to fund and, and the returns, the ROI on that funding. But I would also say some of those structures, because they're conceived in advance of giving money, can also mm-hmm. be, just like any structure, a preconception about the way that ought to work. And I think we've had a lot of really amazing success in being able, just like we would with a constituency in the city, talking with a funder and developing trust and Sometimes talking about the way those structures inhibit the kind of change that we want to make. And exactly when uh, what you brought up, you know, when an organization gets bigger, sometimes sometimes the the laws and and requirements force a certain kind of hierarchy. And the question is how do you navigate that as an organization to preserve the ethos of the organization without having to embrace a hierarchy just for the sake of getting money? Yes. And yes. it's a question. It's not, I don't, I'm not. So you're, I'm not saying, you're in the middle of figuring all that out. Well, I think, I think well, we will be perpetually, if your organization is successful, these questions are inevitable. I think we enjoy them in the same way that we would enjoy thinking about a biennial as a medium. Yes. Maybe, absolutely. maybe an org is a kind of medium, is an, is, a, <laughs> is an artistic medium. And we can be objective about it and think about what it does what kind of relationships 
it supports and and and, and to many of our funders' credits, I mean, to their credit, early on, you know, there are these conversations about doing these spectacular things on the furthest reaches of the city that, you know, depending on who you are, are unseen. I remember one specific story. One of the places that we would like to go is out to a space called Artdale Gardens, which has this huge history. It's uh, public housing. But, like, the city is broken up by blocks. So this is 130th. One is downtown, right? So this is all the way. I said, yeah, we want to do a, a thing out in Arkell Gardens. And I remember a gallerist funder said to us, well, who's going to go out there? I said, huh? <laughs> I said, what do you, what do you mean? I said, well, you're not going to be able to get anyone to go out there. I said, maybe, but there are already people. I don't understand. There I don't are people you're there. <laughs> like, what do you mean? Like, yeah. And if... They're in, and they're already doing stuff out there. There's all types of culture. And so, you know, you can come or not come. And we tell our funders that. They're like, no, there's no gala. There's no fundraiser. There's no event. The event is the event. You come to the event. Like the thing you're supporting goes to the thing. Additionally, those budgets I was giving you, I want to give some other goals. One of our goals, our long-term goals, is for every dollar that we put in infrastructure, we put into people. So whether that's towards project programming, stipends, things, it's like it's a one-to-one. So that's one of our long-term goals is to do a 50-50. So that's why we're a through organization. And sometimes that, like early on, I mean, the, the money has gotten more increased, but early on it was like, no, you don't do anything. You just do what you do. So you don't need to do something for the money. You're already doing it. Just, just to help you do it. And yeah, in the beginning, it was just like vetting. It was just like, hey, we're going to come get off the barge. We're going to come into town. There's a bar. We're going to put money on the guitar player. And he plays the guitar that night. And he ain't got to hustle for, for, for donations. So it's really sometimes it's just being seen that can do the most. It's more, the money is more of a gesture. The money has gotten more significant since we started. But that means a lot. To be able to do something and someone come in and say, hey, I want to give you some funds just so you can do. That's what residencies are. You know, you just do what you do. And Well, and o- um, often, yeah, often that exciting. guitar player, sometimes that guitar player will say, you know, I've been doing these things and I've been thinking right. about a, a totally immersive environmental music medium. And I've never expressed it to anybody. And because of their practice, you know that they understand the nuances of what they're saying. And it's easy to think, well, if you had some technical support, some infrastructure, some space that's to practice. Fab that's what we're trying to build now. It's not just yeah, If you could come to our building expertise. and fabric, fabricate some things, what could you make? And it opens up unprecedented projects. So that's where we're going next. If you'd like to learn more about Andrew and Fahim and read a longer version of this interview, in which they discuss how they curated this year's Architecture Biennial, just head to uncsa.edu slash artrestart. Let me know if you'd like us to feature a favorite change-making artist of yours. You can always find me on Instagram at PCTalenti. Our theme music is by Shanghai Restoration Project. I'm Piercarlo Talenti, and on behalf of the Thomas S. Keenan Institute for the Arts, thank you for listening. <laughs>